0: Tell us a little bit about
1: what you saw and and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. That's remarkable. Alex, while it has only been seven days since the listeners of this here podcast found out that your new team... Is the Philadelphia Phillies? It has been 19 days since we recorded that episode, and so I haven't really had the chance to ask you in a recorded medium where you have no choice but to answer me. How can you sleep at night? Uh, with two pillows and a 300 thread count sheets. That's how. Very nicely. Is that a lot? Of, is that a high thread count? I don't. I don't know actually. You don't know much about thread counts. <laughs> Not a big thread count guy. Did we ever go to Bed Bath and Beyond together to shop for our apartment? No, I think we went to Target. We got a really nice trash can.
0: We did get a nice trash can.
1: What else did we get? Not not a whole lot else. Maybe a clock that fell and (laughs) broke. Yep. Uh, No shade to Target or any of their products. We'd we'd take a sponsorship from Target if they were willing. (laughs) So you're just sleeping fine at night, knowing what you've done to your best friend, your business partner, your podcast co-host, by stabbing him in the back in a recorded medium for thousands of people to hear you're okay with that
0: i mean i feel great <laughs> me personally again the relationship may have changed but i also don't think that um i also don't think mets fans need much help being stabbed in the back so if anything i'm here to provide a a a foil to you for too long i have let your mets fandom run amok on this podcast.
1: Wow. And it's time for it to end. So this is a reactionary shift from mm-hmm. you, is what you're saying. Yeah. You thought that my Mets fandom was taking away from people's enjoyment? <laughs> I think that people were really enjoying watching my, like, years-long meltdown, which, more to come later in this episode, I Yeah, well,
0: some people got to see it in person
1: yesterday. <laughs> Uh, Yes, thank you to those people who came to the Tipping Pitches meetup at the Brooklyn Cyclones game. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Many people were disappointed in you for not showing up decked out in Philadelphia Phillies gear. Myself included, yeah. Uh, Next year, maybe, I guess. Or next time we do this, TBD. There's an event that you have a good opportunity to show up in Philadelphia Phillies gear next year that we're thinking about attending. So uh, we'll see how that goes. We have a fun episode in store for everybody. Uh, Rob Manfred got extended fun episode guys. No, I'm really excited <laughs> I'm to talk excited. about Rob Manfred Manfred and his legacy. I'm excited to talk about John Sherman's letter writing. His mm-hmm. his open his letter to the community, you know, his prose, his penmanship, all of the above. Uh and then we'll we'll talk a little bit about of course, the New York Mets sell-off and the trade deadline in general and the fact that this is um this is our 6 year anniversary episode. It's better than in past years when we've forgotten that it was our anniversary and then we come back the next week and we're like, oh, last week was actually our three-year anniversary episode. So um, we'll talk a little bit about that at the end. Uh, But before we do all of that, I am Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Paisley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. Thank you to this week's new patrons. Emma, John, Cody Lee, and Matt. Alex, good vibes all around in the Tipping Pitches community. Like I said, six-year anniversary, Brooklyn Cyclones meetup yesterday, uh, and good friend of the podcast, Rob Manfred contract extension.
0: Yeah, we're feeling good. Feeling good this Sunday. Uh, I do want to thank everyone who came out to our meetup at the Brooklyn Cyclones game yesterday, which was just an absolute blast. Uh, I know we all almost melted out there.
1: No, I felt good. Yeah, you did. Yeah. I've been living in hell for years as a Mets fan, so that just felt like a temperate climate for me, personally. Nice, nice. (laughs) Cyclones even lost, just to make it
0: it feel even better. A little too on the nose. A
1: nice (laughs) pitching performance from starting pitching prospect fill-in name here. Mm -hmm. And then the reliever who came in immediately gave up the lead on the first pitch. So it was a great time. We got to ride some roller coasters afterwards. More importantly, we got to meet a lot of uh, wonderful people face-to-face and uh enjoy minor league baseball together, which felt a lot better than major league baseball to me personally.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, as we've said before, it's a great ballpark. It's a great place to see baseball as well. Man, Man-, 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 Man- this Park, right? Or something that's like exactly that. That's exactly how you okay. pronounce
1: it. Yeah, no, that's exactly um <laughs> home of NYU baseball. Yeah, Let's right. go violets. <laughs> uh yes, a heartfelt sincere thank you to everybody who came out. And to everybody who could not, whether you're in New York or otherwise, uh we hope to do this Or something like this again in the future whether it's in new york or somewhere else we just have to kind of figure out what that looks like uh this was a a little bit of a trial run for us and i think it went really well um people came from far and wide to enjoy minor league baseball together and uh we we just you know can't say enough about how much we appreciate that uh how do you think rob would have fit in with the crowd there first of all actually wait when was the last time you think rob manfred went to a minor league baseball game (laughs) We talked on the podcast recently a couple weeks ago, I think, about you asked me how many times Rob goes to a Major League Baseball game per right. year, given that it is his job, his job. you know. Uh, but Minor League Baseball, do you think he's been to a Minor League game in 2023? And if not, should we invite him to the next meetup? Well, I think we should, definitely. My best guess if is If we that- sent, like, celeb tickets to the to his office, address <laughs> <laughs> like two comp, two Mr. Tickets. Tickets, two comp- <laughs> <laughs> tickets to the Tipping Fitches meetup. <laughs> we could get him to come
0: at least a representative from his office i would love that yeah that'd be great we're bridging the divide here you know I mean,
1: just endless Reaching tickets across the you aisle know? yeah exactly
0: Well, i mean my best guess is the last time he was at a minor league baseball stadium
1: was probably amidst the bargaining taking place uh You think they bargained at a stadium? Well, no, I don't. But I, but Rob sitting on the pitcher's mound and Tony Clark sitting on home plate. (laughs) I feel like they always, they're like uh, one of those soda cans with a string between them, talking (laughs) about what they're proposing.
0: (laughs) Like someone asked Manfred the last time he was at the A's stadium, and he was like, Well, I was there for, I was there for like a little owner's meeting a few weeks ago. And I feel like that's kind of how he frames his trips to, games right like I don't think that he ever says I just am planning on going to a baseball game today to see it like there's always an right. ulterior motive I would have to assume
1: yeah it has to make sense for his business trips I guess maybe the last time I can conceivably see him going there for work would be to see how like the robo ump system is working so maybe like a year ago two years ago mm-hmm. see how the pitch clock is playing out see how the bigger bases look out there on the field uh so I I don't think he's been there this year but I he's he's had a busy year you know He has a couple of CBAs year. Yeah turning them out big deal. you know a couple couple bankruptcies that he's had to deal with
0: How long do you think he stays at baseball games Like what Ooh. do you think the inning is that he ducks out Cuz like I have well, a suspicion that it's like before the 7th inning stretch
1: Yeah He doesn't want to see that many people enjoying themselves <laughs> <laughs> Um Certainly, he does not stay there longer than two hours, so I think the inning might change. Mm-hmm. But oh, like, of course, he's obsessed with keeping games sh- under two and a half hours, and so why would he? He's not going to stay for more than the amount of time that he's trying to shorten the game to. Right. Um, I think, yeah, two hours in out. You know, grease a couple palms. Yeah,
0: kiss some babies.
1: <laughs> I think grease palms implies like <laughs> like bribery. <yeah. laughs> I don't think that's what I meant. What is it? What is the phrase for when you're just you're like, you're like, you know,
0: rubbing elbows. Yeah. Rubbing, rubbing shoulders. Elbows. Rubbing. Maybe <laughs> greasing palms. Various body really. parts. I don't
1: know what Rob does at baseball games. Cuddling. <laughs> Canoodling. Not always. Babies. I want to be very clear. <laughs> Him and John Fisher in the press box spooning <laughs> In the owner's box rather. Uh, Rob's okay. definitely a little spoon in that <laughs> scenario. Really, I think he has sort of a. I think Fisher has a kind of a little spoon energy too, though. I think they have to argue about who gets to be the little spoon.
0: I feel like Rob's famous relationship problems would just be little spoon for all the owners, right? Given the like dynamics there.
1: Yeah, but like, what if there's an owner? So, but, but Rob has to do what the owners want. So, what if there's an owner who wants to be the little spoon? Yeah, then Rob has to just suck it up and be the big spoon. Right. Well, and I guess there's an element Rob's of
0: like, like my arm's falling asleep, Mister Fisher. <laughs> right. His his arm is stuck under John's shoulder.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah,
0: we've all been there. Yeah.
1: You um you get to be the little spoon ever? Stevie's intrigued by this question. Yeah.
0: Seriously, she's coming over to be my spoon right now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'd say it goes back and forth, back There's a and lot forth,
0: of, a lot of flip flopping throughout. The
1: what day. about like a pie chart? You know, are you like seventy thirty big spoon or closer to fifty fifty? I mean, you're keeping advanced analytics on this, <laughs> right?
0: Well, I I think it's important to point out that spooning is a is a relatively small percentage of the of the pie chart in terms of like sleeping or snuggling, whatever. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. really great for the first few minutes, as Rob knows. <laughs>
1: In the various different ballparks across the United States of America. Yeah. That's why he wants to get rid of the Coliseum. You know, chairs are too hard. Not as comfortable to spoon. Yep. Uh, okay. <laughs> we should probably talk about <laughs> yeah. the actual news. Um, are, you, are you interested in talking about Rob Manfred's contract extension? Four years. It'll take us into the 2027 Major League Baseball season. He found out about this this past week. Uh, according to Evan Drelick he found out about this at the St. Regis Hotel in Washington, D.C., which Evan notes is close to the White House. Do you think he was there, you know, two birds, one stone, doing a little lobbying while he was over there? The greasing palms, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Can you call, are you legally allowed to call lobbying greasing palms? It's like, I guess it's... I mean, that's like legalized palm legalized greasing. Legalized palm greasing. Uh-huh. That You know, that was actually this, that came in second for what we we're going to name this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Legalized palm greasing. Um, I would say that
0: arguably that phrase defines Rob Manfred's tenure as commissioner. Well,
1: I wanted to ask you. So Rob has been commissioner since 2015 when he took over for none other than Bud Selig, who just has a spotless track record. Definitely <laughs> mm-hmm. would have had nothing worthy of us talking about. Thank God Rob took over at that time. Yeah. Because we would not have been able to do this podcast without him.
0: Not with such a bona fide fan running the game.
1: Yeah, exactly. We need more of a. We need more of a suit. In charge of the game. So, earnestly though, spooning, canoodling, palm greasing, hugging, kissing, babies—all of that aside.
0: Right. Once again, <laughs> kissing babies as <is> one thing. <laughs> babies was not the the suffix to everything that came <laughs> before that.
1: Precisely. Um, not were you surprised about this extension? Because it was always clear that he was going to remain commissioner. There was never going to be any serious challenger. Um, And if there was, that person would have um, come to the fore a lot earlier in the public consciousness as a challenger to Manfred. And there would have had to be a lot more discontent about Manfred as commissioner to go out of the way and replace him, given the known that he is to the owners. But when you think back on the last eight years and how he's going to serve another term, what is the first thing that comes to mind? i mean it's it's hard to really narrow
0: in on one because there are a couple things that come to mind on there are a couple things that come to mind on the sort of labor economics front, right and I think of kind of twenty twenty the covid season and sort of how the handling of that really shaped the relationship that major league players and minor league players had with teams with the league in the years to to come and i and while that was obviously not while there were obviously like external factors that influenced everything that happened there i think it's hard not to see his his tenure as being somewhat marked by that more maybe acrimonious relationship that players have with with the league Th- that said like there are still baseball games being played the the league has seen like a good amount of economic growth under his tenure like I think the owners are probably relatively happy with the the job that he has done. I mean, I guess the other note there is also the on field aspect, right and that feels like really where you'll see his fingerprints for years to to come is he's changed like very much the fabric of the game and I don't know if it's for for better or for worse. your mileage might vary on various rule changes that can't be discussed here, but <laughs> That's something that's incredibly notable for me is like how much he loves to tinker and like come up with the most focused grouped response to a potential ill that the game is is facing. So I think the sort of technocratic approach that he has brought has really sort of redefined how fans are engaging with the game and how the game is engaging back with them.
1: I think it's interesting that you bring that up because for me you know, we t- we call Rob the technocrat commissioner a lot. And really what we're doing is we're calling him like the lawyer, the lawyer's commissioner. Mm-hmm. He obviously, before becoming commissioner, was in charge of labor negotiations for Major League Baseball. And he was League's deputy commissioner in that regard. and And that is what endeared him to the owners. That's clearly what the owners value the most, is having someone in charge who can get them the biggest share of the pie possible but when i think about rob's the way that rob has molded the game the one thing that i think is most glaring in what lacks from his tenure is that i don't think he has like a single big idea about what baseball needs to be and become and it's interesting because in his article um in in the article that evan wrote about this um rob has a quote which is the first quote that appears in the article. And to me, I think one of the more important things that he talked about, which is, I'm pleased to have another term. I really am. I feel like we're in the middle of the media thing in particular, a difficult time that I want to get to the other side of. And I think he's right. I think it's a weird time for baseball. A lot of their hopes and dreams were confirmed when they instituted the pitch clock. And it seems like it's had the intended effects that they hoped that it would, meaning you know a slight uptick in viewership spe- specifically for younger fans um a definite uptick in like the amount of action like you know per minute or whatever you want to say uh lowering the t- the total time of games which is something that Rob was always obsessed with even way back in 2017 when we started this podcast this was stuff that Rob was talking about so i think that like he's always proven willing to make tweaks and incremental progress but i do think that the problem that like all sports are facing but definitely baseball specifically in how they're they're going to choose to go forward in it is in fan creation because of course there is always going to be this marginally shrinking section of baseball fans who are going to be here no matter what the game looks like you know you and i included but that group of people mostly doesn't look like you and I. It mostly looks like, you know, 50 to 70-year-old men. And I think when Rob says the media thing, what he's really saying is like, how we're going to continue to make this level of money and keep the owners happy and not wanting to like blow up the spark that we have, while also weighing the notion that even if we're seeing a slight uptick in younger, more diverse fans, it's not, frankly, not happening fast enough to be able to sustain the economic demands that the owners have on this game over a long period of time. And I don't know that I in my head I can't picture like Rob being the person to figure that out. I in my head I can't picture Rob being able to like marshal tough decisions out of owners, you know, make them understand why what Matt Ishbia is doing with the Phoenix Suns in broadcasting suns and mercury games for free to people in the phoenix area. Why that would make sense for them in like the short to medium term to create more fans and then integrate baseball into their lives in a more accessible way. Of course, baseball will figure this out. Like they will figure out the rights fees, the RSNs, everything. There is going to be some form of an answer, but if we're to take like what's happened with the Padres this year, for example, into account where yes, you know, Bally Sports San Diego went out of business and MLB took over production of that broadcast, but they also decided to charge a la carte for those games for people in the San Diego area to not have that blacked out on MLB TV. There is going to need to at some point be like a streamlining, a consolidation of like what it means to be a baseball fan. Because right now, there's like about 88 different ways that you can consume the game. And I think it's a high bar for entry for most people to be like, am I supposed to be the type of fan who goes to the ballpark every once in a while? Am I supposed to be the type of fan who signs up for MLB TV, but then can't root for the team that, or can't watch the team that I ostensibly should root for because I live in the city. Am I supposed to be the fan that's into the futures game? Am I supposed to be the fan that's into Monitor minor league baseball? Am I supposed to care about uh, Japanese baseball now that the biggest star is from Japan? Am I supposed to understand that? Am I supposed to, Want to go to London to see two teams play three games. Like, there's just a lot going on and a lot of plate spinning right now. And the cohesive vision of one baseball to me has never really aligned with what he's actually, the positive version of that has never really shown itself to me. Like, to me, that's just a concentration of revenue streams and it's never really culturally matched the way that he's talked about it. And so four years from now, when we look back, I am curious how all of these things are going to start to overlap with each other a little more and whether they are or not.
0: I'm glad you brought up one baseball because that does feel like the thing that he wants to be remembered for, right? And you talk about a sort of like cohesive vision for the game and, and to an extent, you know, this idea of baseball that is facilitated under the umbrella of Major League Baseball, right? Whether it is at the professional level or the amateur level or whether it's women's baseball or women's softball, right? Or international leagues. He has, I think from an ownership perspective, probably succeeded in some extent of streamlining that a little bit more. Yeah, and, making and, owners understand why that's beneficial to them financially. Right, exactly. Of creating an efficient operation of delivering or managing this sort of unwieldy sport um and there are certainly aspects of this that like i think are harmful to the game and harmful to players and and fans i also am okay with him kind of not trying to create a unified version of sort of fandom or like like i think that We've talked a lot about sort of these different ways that you can like access the sport. And it's something that makes baseball so unique and really cool that like you can both be a fan of the same sport and engage with it in two completely different ways and say, yeah, I don't really watch Major League Baseball, but I know all the prospects in every set, you know, or like I watch the college baseball draft religiously.
1: Yeah. And it's like, it's unique even like among like the community of people who listen to the show yeah like people that we met yesterday like consume the game in vastly different ways than you and i yet still find ways to enjoy this podcast where we talk about baseball in a very very narrow way so I, i agree with that yes i think the thing about one baseball is
0: like we still kind of have no idea how that is going to change the landscape of the sport yet like we still really don't have a sense of the impact that these shifts will create whether it's contracting the minors or bringing some of the independent leagues under you know MLB's umbrella so that they can test out new rules and that sort of thing like it the jury still feels sort of out on what it means for like us as people who watch the game but I think what they have seen is like youth participation in baseball is a little bit up and revenues are higher than they've ever been. So like whatever we're doing, we're working. Like I would imagine the owners probably are giving Manfred a, a, like a B plus on his tenure. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't know, as far as commissioners go, I think we as fans could do a lot worse than Manfred because Manfred for everything that he is... He's not someone who sugarcoats, you know, like he is the perfect person to be the archetype for or the face
1: of baseball because he's like real in what he's representing. He's like a symptom of the baseball culture that built him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And like a very obvious symptom, you Mm -hmm. know, like he he doesn't hide (laughs) much to his shortcoming. He doesn't really like hide his own faults or like the faults the faulty thinking of like the people that he represents Mm -hmm. he doesn't disguise that very well i guess my i always sort of cringe a little bit whenever someone tries to like make the comparison that i'm about to make so you know bear with me here for a second but like when someone talks about the commissioner i think there's a lot of like idealistic baseball fans or you know media members who remember a, a time in baseball's past when the commissioner felt much more like this, like renegade position that was really, you know, the the soul of the game or whatever, or like the living heartbeat of the game. Right. Like the
0: ambassador for exactly. the game
1: throughout the country. But like, it, you it almost, the way that people talk about the commissioner is like as if they're like president of baseball, like the, the way that the president should unite America, the commissioner should unite the baseball world. And that's just, that's not what's happening here the commissioner of baseball is really more like the person in charge of the irs you know (laughs) like but i think that it's still worth asking sometimes it's still worth talking about commissioners and what their intent is and like because they hold a lot of power in these rooms they can suggest paths they can suggest paths to chart forward on things that the owners don't really care about right now but they that, that a commissioner might have the foresight to see that this might be something that matters in 10 or 15 years when some of these owners are dead or not owning teams or like whatever that I think that that is still technically part of the commissioner's job is to protect the the brand, the league, the sport, which obviously the brand dominates too much, inhales too much of the oxygen around what baseball is. And we wish that that wasn't the case. But frankly, right now it is. And there's not a lot of easy ways to change that in the present. But You know, like when you're watching like a presidential debate, not that we've watched a lot of presidential debates recently, but when you're watching a presidential debate and there's like, they're like doing it in Iowa or whatever, and they like throw it to some like run of the mill, like Iowan, and they ask this question. And the question is always something like, what are you going to do to make Iowans feel seen? Right. You know, something like that, like that doesn't have a right or a wrong answer. But if you asked Rob, what are you going to do to make baseball fans feel seen? he would have like 13 different answers about like different policies yeah. that they've like, instituted over the last eight stuff. years. Yeah. yeah, eight years. It's like, you know, we did, you know, the the play ball initiative and which is good. And, you yeah. know, and then we have the pitch clock and we have these bigger bases and we right. have all let these let things.
0: Let the kids play. And every like,
1: single answer. Yeah, let the kids play. Exactly. This PR campaign that we ran because we realized that baseball was way behind the times and everybody was really mad about that. and It took us eight years to realize that. But nonetheless, we realized it and we moved on and, and I think the game is better for it but he wouldn't really have like a coherent answer that made someone feel seen. And to me that that is not necessarily a reflection on what he's done, but it is a reflection on what he will do. Because if his only answer as a commissioner is to like make little incremental changes, those changes like we're going to outpace those changes in terms of what fans what we need, what we want. And like the price of the game is already so prohibitive for people to get to want to get into, to find another thing in their lives that they want to spend exorbitant amounts exorbitant amounts of money to you know to forget about the the crunch of capitalism and death <laughs> and i know that like baseball is dying or baseball is dead like that is a banned topic on this podcast for good reason but i don't even mean in like a placating kind of way i just i, I wish there was actually a commissioner who <laughs> a commissioner or like i wish there was a plurality or even a majority majority of owners who could confidently answer that question. Because right now, there is like only a small handful. I mean, as we saw in our exercise where we went through all 30 teams, there's only like a small handful of owners who even pass like a pass-fail test of ownership of whether you would want to jump ship and become a fan of those teams. And it's really those like underlying urges of who do we want the game to be for that will color the decisions that are made. And right now, like even with the handful of initiatives that Rob has been in charge of that have been successful, and the many, many different times that he has stepped on a rake along the way, I still don't think he has had a positive impact on that element of the game, where the owners feel like they have complete and total jurisdiction over what baseball is, and they are are free and able to make any decision that will make them more money in in the short term. Because I look back on when we started this podcast six years ago, and that was sort of like, the lay of the land then and it still very much feels now like it's the lay of the land. They don't it doesn't feel like owners understand that they are losing some people and not gaining that many people back. And I do think it's the commissioner's job to make them understand that and see a little bit of wisdom on that front. He's coddling them too much.
0: Yeah, but I also think they don't have to care about that if they if they can make up for it in other ways. Right. If it's more expensive to go to a baseball game Eh, maybe if your if your stadium capacity is only twenty five thousand people, it's fine. In a desert, you know? for example, in a, in
1: a desert or whatever, like with a bunch of casinos around, like per se, you know? maybe that's okay if you are
0: able to monetize every other aspect of enjoying the game. You know, um that does feel like the the future of baseball that we're headed towards. You know, is one that does not try to cater to. Every person, right, that caters to people who are baseball fans, and you say, "Come to the ballpark and do everything here." You know, yeah. you can. It's
1: you don't need thirty million people on Twitter. You need three hundred thousand people paying for Twitter Blue.
0: Yep. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry, X Blue. Right. I is thought it was really be weird. blue,
1: even though the branding is black.
0: <laughs> I thought it was really weird that MLB is changing their name to XXX. Like
1: that's <laughs> a little too far. But <laughs> well, they definitely can't get that URL. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Okay, do you have anything more to say about Rob's tenure? Obviously, like we'll just keep talking about Rob Manfred, as we do, yeah. as we have always done.
0: I mean, I think ever since the owners were burned by Faye Vincent back in the early 90s, who had a famously kind of, I guess, rocky relationship with owners and was not afraid to sort of go toe-to-toe with them, I think they have learned their lesson there and know that you can't put someone in the commissioner's seat who is going to place the good of the game over, over the economic implication of those decisions? And I think like the most recent commissionerships have reflected that, right? As Selig, as the sort of really great at playing the part of ambassador while also being like a ruthless executor in in the back room, you know. And then Manfred, who has just dropped all pretense whatsoever and said, "No, I'll just let you know what we're up to. We're firing." 3000 scouts or whatever
1: like would you or would you not rescind every criticism you've ever had of rob manfred if he gave us 60 minutes on the pod i just want you on the record <laughs> would i rescind the criticism yes of him? are you willing <laughs> are you willing to walk it all back for 60 minutes with rob uh, and it depends on what his favorite taylor album is <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine that's the first question that we lead with and then 58 minutes later we're like oh shit <laughs>
0: Right, where does reputation fall in your rankings, sir?
1: I you said something yesterday that I thought was interesting. That maybe we don't have time to get into at this moment, but that you're a little bit off, Taylor, right now. You're a little bit. Are you burnt out from Taylor? Yeah, I think it's just a little
0: bit of like overexposure with yeah. everything, especially since we saw her in person. I was kind of like, all right,
1: I'm gonna. That was a grueling experience. That was that was a lot. <laughs>
0: that was a lot for us to
1: take in. You really feel the. the <laughs> gears churning on the mm-hmm. fan experience as yep. we're sitting here <laughs> making
0: the mental calculations eight of whether and a half it's hours it's worth of it.
1: pouring rain <laughs> like oh am I gonna lose a toe over this like is it worth losing a toe to see 10 minute version like uh. you know
0: I think it's actually taking that sort of break has been has made it fun to then like hear Taylor songs again you know it's kind of like, like I took a Taylor the, tolerance the break, break.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like now the songs actually hit again when I hear them on the radio or whatever we should do that with all of our music I actually sometimes do that by accident where I go like a full week without listening to any music because I'm just like catching up on podcasts slash editing, too busy editing podcasts or whatever. And I come back and I, you know, throw on one of my faves, an old classic. I'm like, God damn it. Music. We're just describing (laughs) like like listening
0: to music, (laughs) like tapping into our own emotions.
1: (laughs) Listen, in this modern world, we have to keep those few things that we hold dear sacred
0: yeah it's the little things
1: it is the little things like turning on the front bottoms twin size mattress after not hearing it for a year and yeah. just being like I'm right true. back where I was the first time I heard this baby Uh okay let's talk about John Sherman a little bit I <laughs> I'm going to refrain from reading his letter on the <laughs> <Okay>. air <laughs> John Sherman wrote an open letter that was shared from the Kansas City Royals Twitter account and I'm sure you know like their Instagram account and all that other stuff too Um, about what the Royals want from Kansas City and from the fans. So the Royals, I I believe we've mentioned this on the podcast, are looking to build a new stadium. Despite the fact that Kauffman is a beloved stadium that um, was recently renovated um, and it was built in the 1950s, it's one of the older ballparks. Uh, but uh, Sherman and the Royals are, you know, their lease is coming up soon, and so what they're looking for is to build a a ballpark district, as they're calling it. You know, they have this website from where you can find more information about what they're looking to do and it's kcballparkdistrict.com and he he writes this letter or you know someone from the royals pr team media team writes this letter about how he was recently at a a, a game and he met this woman who is a widow and talk about how much the royals mean to her and how he was just trying to give back to people like that lifelong yeah. royals Wait, she man. was
0: she was the the widow of like the royals the Royals manager like 50 years ago. Right. So he was like this, this like full circle moment for
1: him where yes. the past connects to the future. And what his conclusion from that is, this full circle moment, the, the vision that he saw, his end of arrival moment was him being like, we need to do what the Braves did. <laughs> we need places where people can buy a $13 hot dog before going into the park and then buy a $21 beer once they get in and then afterwards they can go to a sports bar and watch a different baseball game and buy another $21 beer like that that's what lifelong fandom means to him and i guess this is not surprising so uh they're looking for 1 billion dollars in public funding i believe which would which would set a record i think Major League Baseball teams.
0: Notably, but, that number is not in the, in the open letter. The billion that they're giving is. Yes. The billion they're taking is not.
1: You guys want to go half halfsies <laughs> on a little stadium action? <laughs> You're just going to need to give me a billion dollars. Yeah. Um, It's a really interesting this, this specifically to me, I find this a really interesting inflection point because um, the Royals are this sort of historic MLB franchise. Been in Kansas City for a really long time. Kansas City obviously has a unique and very rich baseball history. Uh, it's the home of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Um, the Royals are a storied MLB franchise who have had long gaps of, who have had long droughts between having competitive teams, but when they have had competitive teams, have had, you know, overwhelming support from the Kansas City fans. And the way that they talk about the franchise, is like they're one of those franchises that talks about it like, oh, we're one big family and all of our fans are part of our family. And to have that kind of franchise where I would, I would I'd classify like the the Cardinals to be in that sort of zone too, where they're like, we're one of MLB's original franchises and the reason what sets us apart from the other teams and why you should love us the most is because we do things the right way and and we mean a lot to our community. And to some extent that stuff is true with the Cardinals, and there, you know, there's generations of fans there who love that team, similarly to Kansas City. But to have like one of those teams buy all into those sort of like arcadification of major league baseball to me is like and not only that, but but to shun a stadium that most fans hold hollow. Love. <laughs> just feels and i know that it's not like a downtown ballpark and it's not the easiest to get to and it is kind of like uh a vehicle for parking lots more or less but like there's something that just feels so crass about the like preconceived nature of all of the way that the ways that these teams are going about these things um and like we you know we bashed on wrigleyville when it was happening and when that change was happening but like at least they already had the stadium there in that area of town and they were just kind of like trying to quote unquote revitalize the area around it. This feels so much more like imperialism within a city <laughs> than and like nakedly too. Like they, he's just coming out and saying it like we need a ballpark district. Like it, it's in the URL. <laughs> this is, I don't know. Do I sound crazy for like being so off put by this, this letter and and being so like forthcoming about turning it into like Chuck E. Cheese, but with some major league baseball games in the middle.
0: No, I mean you're not crazy. I think it's a it's a great letter because I think it does everything that they want it to do. Right? It has right. you have the kind of personal it's like story, a piece of evidence for a, us. You know, like, right? Exactly. Honor,
1: your honor, would you like, we'd like to turn over to exhibit A, John Sherman's letter.
0: <laughs> like it's a really good, like very carefully worded letter about like that I think does a does a good job of at least pretending to note that they are receptive to fans and their ideas and opinions um you know he says please know we're listening we hear you I look forward to the chance here to, for you to keep right we hear for you I look forward to the chance to keep talking with so many of you at the K in the grocery checkout line at the gas station or around town so you heard it.
1: Accost John Sherman in the grocery checkout line. You think he's having candid conversations in the grocery checkout line? What grocery store do you think he shops at? I don't. I don't
0: even what grocery stores are in the Midwest. Know,
1: like Kroger. I don't know if they have Kroger in Kansas City, but that's the biggest grocery. Every store time chain I, in the every time
0: I go to a different state, I learn that there's just no universality.
1: What grocery store did you shop at growing up? Ralph's. I don't know what Ralph's is. Really, that's only a Southern California thing. Then. Maybe okay, it's an LA thing. Never mind. Um. Yeah. I mean, there were, like, a couple, like,
0: small, like, local grocery stores that right. we'd go to. It was, Based, like, a, it was like, a Safeway down the East street Bay. from us, you okay, know, Safeway. but, like... That's the big chain. Yeah. Right. I don't know. There was an Albertsons.
1: I... My mind melted into a puddle when I found out that other people didn't have ShopRite. <laughs> yeah. I was like, how'd you live without ShopRite? <laughs> without Giant, you know? <laughs> without Wegmans? I knew Wegmans was, was regional because... They, we didn't get a Wegman's like around us right until I was already in college. So it was like 40 minutes was the closest Wegman's. But now I'm just talking about Wegman's. Now you're just talking so Safeway then. So you were just buying local, you know? Right. I mean, keep we it the East Bay keep yeah, that. Yeah. Keep it know, that vi- currency Village Village
0: Market. Like you know, <laughs> nice. my real ones know. Good for you. Yeah.
1: Anyway, back to John Sherman.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think my favorite line in this is is this one two punch. We're committed to doing this right. This is a huge decision for us. I'm like, did you like bounce back and forth on that one? You were like, okay, right way, wrong way,
1: (laughs) little bit of both. It does have the whole letter kind of just, it does have a, um, it's not you, it's me energy. you know, It's not that you, the fans have done anything wrong. And it's not, it's not even you, the K, you know, it's not even you Kaufman has done anything wrong. You've served us well. You know, thank you for everything you've done. But uh, we just need, we're looking for something different in uh, our baseball experience. I, I, one thing I enjoy over the last 10 years, really enjoy this. This is one of my favorite things. Yeah. I, I really, truly enjoy this. Sure. This is something I enjoy and like and enjoy. Um, is the way that teams, and if we want to expand this to be a wider scope, like brands, politicians and whatnot, use like, <laughs> kind of use like therapy speak about like what their motivations are for doing some things there's like a little bit of that in this letter not quite as bad as some other things but it's just like we're seeking the most conducive uh mutually beneficial partnership for both us and you you know like it's like no you're not you're actually not like you're chasing money yeah it's okay you're chasing money
0: he's like i recognize we're not in a great place right now (laughs) you know
1: but we want to be, we want to better ourselves. We're committed to doing we the can work. expect you to be better for us. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> We're committed <laughs> to doing the work. Um, okay. Anything you want, any more choice lines from there that you'd like to point out? This is not, it, not really
0: a choice line or whatever. This is a feature of every discussion around a major league stadium. I just, can we just stop assigning like random numbers to economic impact? Oh, yeah. Like, this is just a thing that grinds my gears. It's when they're like $3 billion. Well, it's not like random, econ- That's true. That was very. It was, it was. I mean, it's just facts
1: because it's not academics looking into it because academics. Right. The want. experts are like, yeah. Right. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> well, these are finance people who are doing not academics. They're finance people. I oh, get what you're talking about. I guess. the construction project alone is expected to generate over 20,000 jobs. That's an insane number <laughs> of jobs. Are you counting also, the players <laughs> on your teams? That's how many relievers the Royals are going to have <laughs> in the new stadium. Uh, 1.4 billion in labor income. <laughs> I've never heard that. I've before. never,
0: yeah. It's uh, like when Elon is- says, We're at an all time high and User device usage seconds. I'm like, okay. <laughs> oh yeah, I right. love that stat.
1: Two point eight billion in total economic output from construction and labor income. Labor construction and labor income. Labor income again during the three plus years it will take to build it. So we've got twenty thousand jobs for three years to build a stadium. What happens to all those people after three years? I just have to find him in line at the grocery store to yeah, exactly, ask. Exactly, exactly. He's listening. He's Wait, here for you. I actually, there was one more thing that I wanted to point out about okay. this: was that the way that they frame it um, is that it's a quote an open letter from Royals chairman and CEO mm-hmm. John Sherman. Anybody ever sent out a closed letter? What would a closed letter be?
0: Well, I think isn't a closed letter just like a letter you send to someone? Yeah.
1: So why do you have to call it an open letter? <laughs> it's not a fucking letter. It's it's a screenshot. <laughs> It's not a letter. I can't respond to it. Yeah, I mean that's the
0: biggest. Is he's like, I look forward to staying in touch. Stay, yeah, staying in touch. How? What?
1: Were we in touch before? Right. This There's is the no first email this on this here. The first I've heard from you. Where's your phone number? <laughs> like walking up to someone at the grocery. We're really on a grocery store kick. It's like you're checking out at the grocery store, and after you, the cashier is like, "Okay, here's your receipt." And You're like, "I look forward to staying in touch." Yeah, like. Just because we had it, one interaction doesn't mean we're staying in touch.
0: I will note, actually, so no email on here. There is a phone number down at the bottom that I think is just the General Royal's phone number. I'm well, thinking I, I, maybe we give it a ring and just ask for John all right, and I'll say call,
1: I'll call that right now. Okay. 816 921 8000. 8000. Thank you for calling the offices of the Kansas City Royals. This is John. If you know your party's extension, you may dial it at any time. John. Or select from one I want Mr. Sherman. For ticket sales, press one. For team communications and publicity, press two. Oh, that might be us. To request unemployment verification, press three. <laughs> for it's one of the 20,000 churches, jobs. The Youth Academy or Royals community programs, press four. For guest services and all other assistance, Press five. So I, I we were probably two. Thank you for
0: calling the offices. Really? I, think, I was thinking we were maybe five. Guest like all, services? All,
1: all other needs. Well, we're going to do that offline and see how that goes. We will. We'll report back. That's mm-hmm. Patreon-only content. Right, we're going
0: to send a closed letter to John Sherman.
1: <laughs> a closed letter. Yeah, I, I like the notion that he was like, I, I was thinking about sending this closed to every Royals fan, but you know what? Let's just publish for it. For transparency? Yeah open letter open letter this is this is an open podcast <laughs> <laughs> i love that i love your frustration by this all of my closed podcasts not even a john Sherman thing like, i actually do a lot of closed podcasts as well though but i want everybody to know that this podcast is open you know but my closed pods send hour long audio files to all of my friends with my thoughts about different topics yeah but we keep this one open because of transparency because that's just the kind of media personalities we are
0: right because we here for you
1: so my personal vendettas that I have recently on the podcast Open Letters Right uh, Risk Analysts Yes, that's big Philadelphia Phillies fans Right, yeah um, The Atlanta Braves organization Am I missing anything else? Oh, actually one thing that we're going to get to in the next segment um, my, I have a personal vendetta with Ken Rosenthal right now I'm really excited to tell you about it but we're going to take a quick break first I'm in a hurry to get all right, Alex, we're back. Uh, important update for you. Uh, your Philadelphia Phillies lost a uh, walk-off home run to the Pittsburgh Pirates, so just thought I'd let you know. That one stings.
0: <laughs> uh, I just want to address this real quick. There's a, there's a conspiracy theory in the slack right now that that you were at January 6th. (laughs) Right. Well, not a conspiracy theory (laughs) Um, that that, they're there uh, to stop those (laughs)
1: hooligans.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. I was a conscientious objector (laughs) January 6th. (laughs)
1: That's, I don't know why that's so funny. (laughs) It's like all these people like climbing the walls and you're standing there being like, Right. I had to Not be. Not in my house. <laughs> I'm recording you for the good of the order, sir. I placed one person under citizen's arrest, but they got away.
0: <laughs> no, the conspiracy theory is that I have ruined the twin season after oh, yes. after neglecting yeah. to pick them as my team.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: They have lost five in a row. They just got uh, swept by John Sherman's Royals. And uh, and wow. their last win was on the day that episode was posted. <laughs> so look, I will say that the evidence is not strong in my favor here. No, no. But I will also no. say that if I had the power to exactly. turn around the team's fortunes, I probably would have done
1: it a long time ago. <laughs> Maybe it's like the kind of power that you didn't know you had. Right. You know, like the reluctant hero type. Yeah. Where you don't want to acknowledge... The burgeoning strength that you have inside you because you're afraid of the world that it might create I mean with great power you know it comes great responsibility to give Billy bean a World Series ring <laughs> right to get the twins to ninety five wins <laughs> actually to get the twins to ninety five losses it sounds like what you use <laughs> that power for what you've done is you've given Paul Dolan a f- clear fucking path to winning the a l central at eighty three and seventy nine yeah Give me a second to, that. <laughs> to figure out what that, that was right. To. That was correct. That was the right amount of wins. <laughs>
0: um, once again, I think the AL Central does a very good job of of giving him that path every single year.
1: <laughs> seems like it's just been years on years that we've mm-hmm. been talking about this. Yep. Hey, listen, it's our six-year anniversary. Yeah, we did it. Six years of podcasting about whatever the fuck we've been podcasting for the last six years. Mm-hmm. Um we uh, I know we mentioned this at the top of the show, but we got to not celebrate our sixth year anniversary, but just hang out with some people who've been listening to the podcast for you know short medium or long term um at the Cyclones game this past weekend so again, a thank you to all of those folks who came out and I forgot to mention this at the top of the show, but thank you to the folks at the Brooklyn Cyclones ticketing office for helping us set up you know a link where everybody could buy tickets and be in the same section and hang out That was like a really uh, i thought easy and smooth way of doing that and uh if you are listening to this and you work for a minor league baseball team and you'd like us to bring the traveling tipping pitches rodeo to your stadium to a stadium near you uh hit us up tipping pitchespot at gmail.com we'd love to hang out at more minor league baseball Take the stadiums. show on the road exactly um we the cyclones uh also gave us some some hats that came along with our ticket purchases which are they're like real hats Really nice hats. No sponsors on them. Just a real cyclone's That's big. hat. That's big. I, I was in on that. There's yeah. There's no like hospital sponsor on the <laughs> right. side of it, which is usually. I mean, I know that um, this the sponsor of the cyclone stadium is actually a hospital, but it's okay. Um, yes, six years of doing the podcast. You know, I wanted to honor our six year anniversary by talking about the same thing that we talked about on the first episode, which was being sad about our teams selling at the deadline. Uh the title of that episode was Sad at the Deadline. You know, I like to think of this episode as Sad at the Deadline Part 2. Uh you know who I was sad about? That the Mets traded that that trade deadline 2017. Who was that? Lucas Duda. Uh-huh. I was really going through it. Yeah. I don't remember feeling that strongly about <laughs> Lucas Duda. I think I was landing on a little bit thick for the podcast if I'm being real. <laughs> We were still coming into our own, you know. I've become much more of an honest broadcaster since then. I wouldn't lie to you about feeling sad about trading <laughs> Lucas Duda. I'm sure I was sad at the time, you know, just coming off the emotions of 2015 and 16. Some some Duda Smash energy. We follow Lucas Duda Instagram account, Curtis Granderson and Lucas Duda's friendship. All that stuff was important to me. Yeah, why? Well, w- but it was we like had, that, we had
0: free giveaway Duda Smash shirts. That's that, right,
1: exactly. Now they're made moot yeah. by that trade We mm-hmm. went to the Rays team that you were a little bit too apologetic to I thought on the MLB matchmaker episodes mm. you shut them down but like you didn't stomp on their necks you know <laughs> <laughs> all right I never know what to
0: do it's like one week with you you're like the rays are in a front to humanity and the next are like
1: well they might they're be good or something <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty good <laughs> it doesn't even matter now because they're not going to win the division yeah because of the Orioles the other team that you shunned yeah, by the way a lot of Orioles fans being like you fucked up yeah they're keeping receipts on you. They are. That's fair. But I almost think that like choosing the Orioles and then them having this magical season and like winning right away would have been not worth it. Right. It wouldn't so feel as earned. Yeah. You got to suffer a little bit. Which is Phillies, why which
0: is why I picked a team that has had no recent success.
1: <laughs> well, when the Phillies win the World Series in 2041, you'll feel really good. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, we were recording this podcast one day after the New York Mets traded Max Scherzer to the Texas Rangers. And to that, I say, good trade. We had walked. Bad team trades aging pitcher to good team trying to make a playoff yeah. push. Gets, Seems normal to me. Gets
0: prospect back in return. <laughs> we had literally walked through the gates of the Brooklyn Cyclones game, and you stared at me looking up from your phone, saying, the Mets just traded Max Scherzer to the Rangers. And I was like, this is going to be a fun game. I'm ready.
1: <laughs> I honestly feel pretty at peace about it. Yeah. You know, am I. Honest reaction was, the Mets are not going anywhere this year. Max Scherzer is maybe not good anymore. At least he has not been good with the Mets since the middle of August 2022. (laughs) And they got back a consensus top 100 prospect for him. Seems like a fair trade. Seems like a reasonable way of using past competitive decisions, like signing expensive free agents, to build out, to turn that into continued momentum forward to have a competitive baseball team. It's better than just spending the money and getting nothing in return for it. It's better than Jason Bay, you know? And just riding it out. <laughs> just riding it out and being like, actually, this was a mistake and we should never spend money ever again. Yeah. So I I felt that way until I, this morning when I woke up and I saw that uh, Billy Epler said basically that phrase verbatim. He was like, we're taking Steve's spending And we're turning it into ways to increase the competitiveness of the whole organization, not just the the major league team. And when I heard Billy Epler saying that, I was like, damn it. I don't agree with him anymore. It's like (laughs) I changed my mind about what I think because (laughs) I don't want to be on the same team as that guy. Exactly. He's wearing like some stupid little Mets hat and it makes his head look so weird. It just makes me so mad, that guy. (laughs) Add him to the list. So, Um, risk analysts. Yeah, risk analysts. Open, Open letters, letters. Billy appler Billy Appler Mets hat, the Braves, <laughs> uh, the Philadelphia Phillies fans, and of course Ken Rosenthal, which I teased before we took mm. our break. I gotta say, he's leaning a little a little touch a smidge too hard in the um lol Mets zone for me. A lot of his columns this year have I think think weirdly focused on the Mets a little bit too much, you know? That's not a good baseball team. They're not going to be in the playoffs. Why are you writing about them so often? You're the national columnist. You're the biggest national columnist in the baseball world. And you seem way more interested in the fact that the Mets are sending $22 million to the Texas Rangers than, I don't know, anything else going on? The Orioles being the best team in baseball, the Yankees being in last. I don't see a bunch of articles about that being written, by Ken, written, written and retweeted by Ken Rosenthal. That's all I got to say. He just seems a, a little bit too on the uh, Mets fatalism corner for my taste (laughs) (laughs) they're obviously an embarrassment and i understand embarrassments get get, embarrassments get clicks and that he's not the one writing all of these articles he's he's doing the good work of signal boosting the beat reporting of the various other writers who are writing about the mets i'm just saying he seems a little bit too interested in steve cohen's wallet (laughs) for better or for worse yeah He's not like I'm happy that you know Steve Cohen is losing cuz he's spending money. He's not saying that. Like he he doesn't have like bad takes. He just has like way too much of an interest. You're just like like tone it back a little bit, yes. dude. Yes. Yes. 20% back. Cool it. <laughs> that being said, the Mets are a fucking embarrassment. Right. I mean, someone should probably be <laughs> writing about them. I think plenty of people are writing about them. I just think that to me it feels a little bit like he knows that we're all sick in the head, we being Mets fans. And he's just like, I'm just going to give them what they want. You know, I'm going to give them an article about Mm -hmm. how this is a failure and how it's a disaster and how it's a reckoning moment. And how is that,
0: I thought his article was more of the sense of like, Cohen's pockets are so big that this sort of trade is viable for him because he can send the Rangers tens of
1: millions of dollars and like still make it worth it. Yes, it was like that, but it was also, to me, it was also like so much about the money Like that—that was the only thing that was interesting to him. Not about the fact that the Mets—not about the fact that the Mets have like the twenty of the twenty-six players on their rosters are underperforming their expectations, and about how that signals like some sort of organizational malfeasance. But it was more so like they spent and they spent and they spent, and then they realized that that was wrong for this year, and so then they're going to send out some more money, and because all they have is money,
0: right? It's like, like okay, what? How can we put a dollar amount on? yes potential
1: we've lost we've lost a lack of nuance about the Mets ways to fail (laughs) bring that back you know bring back the Wilpon era interrogation of why the Mets are fucking up (laughs) the meddling era you know the different GMs era. the Sandy Alderson doesn't know what the fuck is going on in modern baseball era we need to bring back a little bit of that a little taste of that this is actually I was trying to think about this because there's been so many unique disappointments being a Mets fan yeah years and years and years decades you could even say of unique ways to let the fan base down and this one is like the least inspiring ever they're just like the most expensive team ever and no one is good but they're not even bad in an interesting way yeah everyone is just like 12 to 20 percent worse than they should be
0: Right, you can't even really squint and be like, well,
1: you know, if they play
0: above their level the next couple months.
1: No, they're donezo, kaput. They have absolutely no chance of doing anything. Despite the fact that they took three or four from the Washington Nationals. And, right. what, and what did you- I say
0: to you? Mets are so back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Approximately an hour
1: and a half ago. <laughs> um, There's not, we, we can't even, uh, on the the podcast that we did for our first episode six years ago, we talked um a little bit about the Mets sell-off, Lucas Duda, uh, Curtis Granderson was rumored to be traded, Addison Reed, who was an important part in the 2015 and 16 Mets. Addison yeah. Reed. There's a guy for your immaculate grid. That's right. Um, we talked about those guys and how it's it's a bummer to see these guys that you've like developed important relationships with over the years get traded away. That's not really the case for what's going on with the Mets right now because they're trading guys who have only been there for the last couple of years and, um, who Mets fans have complicated relationships with. But one of the other things that we talked about on that pod was uh, the A's and how they were having an uh, underwhelming year and their big trade candidate was um, Sonny Gray. <laughs> uh, you were talking about how he was heavily rumored to the Yankees and about how it was a bummer because you loved him so much. And now look at this. Years later, you're still following him around. Yeah,
0: here I am years later dooming his current team, clearly, with my the decisions I'm making place for the Twins.
1: That's true, but that was the only reason that the Twins were even in contention, right? Uh, that's right, yeah. I mean, you weren't choosing the Twins because of their startling recent success. <laughs> I mean, the A's have won a playoff series more recently than the Twins. Wow. Yeah, kind of bleak, actually, if yeah. yeah. you think about mm-hmm. it. um, The trade deadline's a weird time for fandom. It's a weird time for a podcast that doesn't really talk about baseball, either.
0: It's especially weird, like, for me, having disengaged with the A's a little bit more this year at least on like a day-to-day level like I am still aware of what's going on and the moves that are being made and then like you know whether they win or lost I usually have a pretty good idea of how that's gonna go before the game's been played but it's also been a little liberating to see the trade deadline and just see like not have the emotional attachment to it you know I can kind of be like damn Rangers Rangers in Rangers all in. Rangers proving that if you want to figure out who the good teams are going to be this year, you have to just pick the previous year's picks to click. Everyone was like, Rangers, I think myself included, was like team to watch this year, last year. You know, like got to get on board. I'm out on the Rangers.
1: I don't believe in them. You're out on them like success-wise or just? Both. All the above. (laughs) All right. They're, They're just uninspiring to me. Yeah. I think Max Scherzer's Cooked. And I hope that he's not. I guess I'd be happy to see him succeed because I like him personally. But I think he is cooked.
0: I mean, I think that what's what's hard, like watching him, is like how stark the drop off was, right? Where he was putting up Cy Young contender numbers last year for the Mets, right? Even though he only pitched 145 innings, and and this year he's like a league average pitcher with a. FIP that's a little terrifying to to look at, you know. Like, I and like, what is the FIP? Four seven three
1: E. It's
0: not that's what not you great. want.
1: He also has like four different nagging injuries, <laughs> and he's, he's given up
0: thirty home. Nope, he's not.
1: Wrong column. <laughs> Gets you sometimes. He feels like Scherzer's tenure with the Mets feels built in a government lab. To piss off the most possible people. Yeah. Because he was actually legitimately good last year. Right up until the moment that it actually mattered. He mm-hmm. And he was bad. Yeah. In the two most important games of the year. Like really bad. Like objectively bad. Like couldn't make it into the fifth inning or fourth inning. In either of those games. Yeah. And uh we were at one. And so I feel a unique sense of betrayal from him. <laughs> <laughs> for taking away all hope in the first inning of the only Mets playoff game I have ever attended in person. Yep. That hurt. That stings. But aside from that, like him being the highest paid player ever and being signaling this new Steve Cohen. Oh, let's spend, 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 not worry about anything era. Him being the face of that, him along with Lindor being the face of that. But Lindor is obviously younger and he's going to be around forever. And then not delivering on it and like only being here for a year and a half and approving the trade request and the weird quotes that came out the night before that he was traded about how he needed to go have a conversation with the front office because he felt like it was a betrayal that they traded David Robertson despite the fact that they were like 10 games under 500 and have no real chance of making the playoffs. It's like everybody is kind of right and so everybody is mad. Like yes, he was good last year. Yes, the signing was still the right thing to do in retrospect. I wouldn't take any of it back. But also yes, he was bad enough this year that it was worthy of just getting rid of him and you know, resetting expectations and trying to pivot forward into whatever the next era of Mets contention is going to be. And yes, it was not the best allocating of resources that the Mets could have used that that money or like that free agent signing or anything too just because of the nature of the fact that it didn't work out and so everybody kind of has a justification to be mad <laughs> so uh, everybody is not handling it great
0: including like most of the Mets players who have been like kind of st- shockingly candid at their sort of not this displeasure with the trade but the fact that like they're not taking it great like I seen quotes from guys like Alonzo and Nemo who are like yeah, I don't really know what this means for the future of this team. Like, is a kind of honesty I think you don't usually see in clubhouses, especially around the trade deadline when it comes to, like, a team's performance or contention. And, and it's a testament, I think, to this grand vision of, of Cohen's, as well as, like, the importance of a guy like Max Scherzer to a clubhouse that's intending to compete. You know he's such a powerful presence that even if he's like an average guy on the field, you know, like he's there's a real there's a real hole that I think is left in a team
1: like that. I don't think I agree. Okay, I'm gonna go. This is gonna sound almost like shockingly out of character for me to say, but Mm -hmm. the Mets have like straight up loser energy. And I, while I think that Max is an unbelievable competitor, and I think that he did a lot for like clubhouse chemistry and professionalization and like the seriousness of what it takes to really compete at the highest level and prepare yourself, you know, physically and mentally to be a great team like the Mets were last year. I don't see it this year. Like i watched the Mets more than I'm comfortable admitting publicly, despite the fact that they have no chance and they're the most soulless baseball team that I've ever had to watch (laughs) (laughs) expecting to be good. Right. What is like his alpha competitor nature doing for them this year? You know what he see? he seems mad. He got suspended for sticky stuff. He seems pissed off most of the time at people asking him questions about why he's not better, even though he's not been good this year. And I'm like, that stuff is all well and good when you're a team that's like close to the best record in baseball last year or when you're in the lead for the division most of the year and seemingly you're having a great influence on the clubhouse vibe of that team. But like, as soon as things got difficult in the series in Atlanta last year, it's just been all downhill from there. And so while I agree that a, a veteran like that can have a positive presence on a locker room, at some point you have to stop deluding yourself that that's a reason to keep someone around. Yeah. Like, because for all the credit that you can give him to, to creating the clubhouse environment for the 101 win team last year, does he not take any of the blame for being the guy who is supposedly still the same person in the center of the cl- the clubhouse this year, which is devoid of any personality, joy, fight, heart, or baseball talent? Like, I, I don't, I just don't understand it.
0: So you're saying he's not going into the Hall of Fame wearing a Mets hat?
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> he's going in wearing a Nats a hat. A Dodgers by the way. hat? Oh. <laughs> No, he's going to be wearing a Padres hat <laughs> for the one hour that people thought that he was going to be on the Padres. Remember that? I just I I love Max. I'm like I have a Max Scherzer jersey. I'm, like, I'm not trying to insinuate that he's not good or wasn't worth the contract, but I'm just saying like we often ascribe intangible credit to some players for some things. When in reality it's like very hard to understand whether or not they were the reason that those things were going on. Like if Max Scherzer was the reason that the Mets had the demeanor that they had last year and were able to like win as many close games and win 101 games, then like what happened what happened this year with the exact same team? I just I don't understand, you know?
0: I mean, yeah, once again, it doesn't help when you're not
1: good anymore. (laughs) Exactly. Um All right, well, is there anything else about the trade deadline that is interesting to you? I guess we don't have all of the context yet.
0: No, I mean, you want to talk Cardinals baseball? Yeah, You want to to talk Jordan Hicks? (laughs) How that changes the Blue Jays' bullpen? Should
1: we talk about Miles Michaelis? (laughs) Jordan Montgomery, big trade today. Um, Montgomery's good. Yeah, he is. I think he is good. Mm-hmm. I think he will help. Yep, the Rangers yeah. more more than a Max Scherzer. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. Uh, no, I to to close out this week's episode, I wanted to do a special thing because it's our sixth year anniversary, and because six years ago we debuted the very first, um, the very first Tim Tebow Power Hour. So I thought to commemorate that long gone segment, I would read you the. Headlines that are currently in the news about Tim Tebow. I I know one of them. Fox News. You tell me if you want me to click on any of these and give you more background. Okay. But, okay. Just let me. Just stop me if you hear something that, <laughs> that you want to talk more about. Fox News. Tim Tebow launches major new campaign to fight human trafficking. This is the one I know about. <laughs> um, the spun Tim Tebow, comma wife Demi had special date night on Saturday.
0: That's, that's the whole story
1: that's the headline okay movie guide tim tebow shows how parents impact children when when they quote put god first espn wait how is that a movie guide you're just gonna have to ask me to <laughs> okay. click to find out if you want <laughs> they have to put god first I don't espn echl classic echl classic approves tim tebow owned minor league team in lake tahoe fox news again tim tebow reveals his new quote unknown campaign to help save children in peril all around the world uh, children in peril now we're getting to now we're getting to repeats wait we got an outkick here i'll close with this one oh, jesus urban meyer estimates how much money tim tebow would have made through nil if it had existed when he was in college <laughs> that's a whole article on outkick It's amazing amazing what journalism has stumped down to. None of those are interesting to you. You don't want me to click on any of them? Do you want to hear the ECHL? I do, but I also want to know what they had for dinner on their date night. Tim Tebow is bringing professional hockey to Lake Tahoe. The ECHL. This is just bad journalism practice to not say what that stands for on first reference. Terrible job by ESPN. Shameful. (laughs) It's really throwing it back to our first episode is journalism criticism. (laughs) ECHL Board of Governors has approved the expansion application for a team in Lake Tahoe beginning in the 2024-2025 season. The franchise will be owned by Tebow, the 2007 Heisman Trophy winner, blah, blah, blah. He'll own the team with David Hodges, CEO of Hodges Management Group, LLC, which owns three (laughs) auto dealerships and real estate investment firms in Georgia. Minor league hockey owner, Tim Tebow. We could work that into our run of show i think we could i don't think we talk about
0: hockey enough so
1: many of our listeners have said that (laughs) they're like more hockey chad (laughs) six years ago i proclaimed that tim tebow was the best outfielder in the mets minor league system (laughs) i mean you may not have been wrong at that (laughs) moment in time (laughs) and now the best outfielder in the mets minor league system is alex ramirez who we saw homer yesterday that's true wow we've come so far (laughs) we've come so far Mets being losers trading at the dead selling at the deadline.
0: Talking Tebow. Do you think that like he hosted one of those like screenings of Sound of Freedom? Probably. Uh yeah. Like almost certainly.
1: I feel like he's probably an EP on that. <laughs> he just gave a little money and got in the, the producer credit. Um in all seriousness, Alex. Happy six year anniversary of the podcast. Likewise, Bob. Thank you to everybody who has listened along the way. Thank you to everybody who has called in. Who has emailed, who has been a patron, who has come to events like yesterday's Brooklyn Cyclones meetup, who have shared the podcast with other people. That kind of stuff is really what has kept us going for the last six years, seeing as this podcast is neither neither of our full-time jobs. and something that we do because obviously we feel passionate about these topics. But um, the thing that I really feel the most passionate about six years after starting the show is... The sense of community that I feel with the people who listen to it, with the people who we've met through it, with the people who've been on the show, with the people who have followed us on Twitter and then eventually like gotten into the podcast like years after following us being like, I didn't know you guys did a podcast. And I'm like, you're not following very closely, are you? (laughs) All of those people have made just the most wonderful community that we could have never envisioned, but certainly never take for granted. So thank you so much to everybody for all the support along the way. Um, six years from now I don't know what the hell is going to be going on six years from now we will be talking about how the Mets are sellers at the deadline because they're eight games under 500 I can guarantee you that 100% and you're going to be totally Phillies pilled you're going to do your full on hoagie accent on every episode yeah which I hope you've been working on because I will force you to do it at some point. I'm sure you will.
0: It's crossed it, my mind. It better
1: be good. I know. I'm just saying, you don't know when that moment is going to be, but when I ask you to do it, you have to do it. So I've been
0: practicing be greasing poles, actually. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the main tenets of being a Philadelphian, Wawa wah greasing poles, the accent, throwing batteries. <laughs> True story. When I was a kid, um, one of my best friends, we were playing ping pong. Um, with his little brother. And we beat him in ping pong so many consecutive times. He got so mad that he went and he got an 8-volt battery. And he chucked it at my best friend's head. <laughs> and cut it open. So, like, even from a young age, you just learn you how learn. to throw batteries at people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the fan base that you've chosen to become a part of.
0: I feel so proud.
1: Well, I'm really proud of you, too. So, uh, work on that accent. Work on your knowledge about Interstate 95. Yeah. That's a really important one to Philadelphia culture. And internalize the fact that roast pork is actually the best Philadelphia sandwich, not cheesesteaks.
0: That's good. I will be ironically leaning on you, my <laughs> Mets fan friend, to, uh,
1: to show you the ropes. Right,
0: to extol the virtues of Philadelphia sports fans.
1: Who knows Philadelphia sports fans better than their number one enemy? Exactly. <laughs> uh, thank you to everybody so much for listening all these years. Or even if you're a new listener, we appreciate that as well. Please share this podcast with somebody you think might like it. If there is somebody in your life who fits those qualifications, I'll take this opportunity to remind people that we have um, another milestone episode coming up in the coming months uh, that we need people to submit uh, short answer or yes or no questions for. I know I'm starting to sound like a broken record on this after talking about it for weeks and weeks and weeks, but uh, we still need some more as many as people are willing to submit is really helpful to us. Uh, you'll understand why we need so many questions when we actually get to the episode. Uh, but until then, the link is in the description for where you can su- submit those via Google Form. And we really appreciate everybody who's already submitted some. Some people who have just submitted like five or six in a row, which is just really, really helpful. So thank you to everybody um, who has already submitted and who will submit for those. And uh, other than that, we'll be back.